It's November 19th, 2020. This is Rook. She was born in 1996 and entered Iran as an undocumented Afghan refugee as a kid, which meant she did not even qualify to be able to go to school. She found residence at an NGO and was nearly sold as a child bride by her mother twice. But Sonita found her passion, her resilience, and her voice for change in rap music and became a viral sensation around the world by her late teens. It's a remarkable story and the rapper and activist Sonita Alizadeh joins me today for a feature interview about tradition, family, hip-hop, and her international mission to end child marriage. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode number 63 of Rook. Hope you're in good spirits out there, wherever you are around the world listening to this. We are on this ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity coming to you on SoundCloud, Instagram, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, and Telegram. You okay, Keon? <laughs> I got something in my throat. <laughs> nice way to start. Pardon me. Hi, the fabulous Keon. <laughs> Hello there. Yes. <laughs> it must be the chicken salad. <laughs> right, right. I am uh, I'm very much looking forward to our guests coming up here. Sonita Alizadeh. What a story she has. This is a young woman born into a poor family in Afghanistan. They flee the Taliban and make this harrowing trip to Iran when she's a kid. Uh, she grows up in a in a charity hostel, like an NGO in Tehran, nearly being sold, as I just said in, in the uh, the opening bills there, as a child bride twice by her mother, uh, and and then finds rap and hip hop music as her outlet. Um, rap, by the way, being banned in Iran, let alone for a woman to perform. You know, it's uh, everything she does is is uh, is heretical, and yet this is how she finds her voice. She creates this YouTube hit, rapping about child marriage. Some folks out there will know the song immediately, of course, and becomes this human rights symbol. Now, in her early twenties, studying in the states, um, continuing her music career, and and with this story to tell, and with a, on a mission to to change the world. Um, I, you know, I like her music. I think she's incredibly smart and she's quite an ambassador for change in the world. I have so much to ask her. I'm so grateful that she's coming up here on Rook. Actually, her story reminds me a lot of Malala Yousafzai. It's, uh, it sounds very familiar 
to what she had to go through. Not, the, of the, course, the not notable her not, rapper, Malala. <laughs> just that, that part's missing, yeah, yeah. but the whole, uh, you know, the journey that she had to go through coming it, from she Afghanistan. She has been compared to Malala in terms yeah. of these incredible young women who are mm-hmm. changing the world. How are you, Keon? I'm okay. You're, you're <laughs> why, right? why do you ask? Yeah, I'm feeling a little under the weather. Well, well, I don't have COVID. Because you were coughing and spitting as the, <laughs> yeah, as the I don't show have began. COVID, okay? All right. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. you are rather close to me, so I want... Well. You know, a guy I know was asking about you. Oh, no. Asking after you, as they oh, used no. to say. He was asking after you. Oh, was he? Yeah. Uh, impressive guy. Oh, yeah? Good looking. Single. <laughs> Non-Iranian. Interesting. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, he's a he's an artist, so he had heard the last episode with Paris Tanavoli, mm-hmm. I guess, and uh, he heard you on it. Uh, and uh, he goes, uh, so Keon? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, she has a great voice. And I was like, yeah, no, she has an amazing voice. I mean, people say that. You have a really nice voice. And, uh, and so he says, um, and he saw your picture, I guess, in the on our website or whatever, mm-hmm. the, the team picture. And, they, and he saw you and he was like, so he, so he says, uh, what's the deal with that? <laughs> what's the deal with that, Keon? What's the deal, I guess, is like code for, you know, that's like the bro young, code for the young kids say these what's days. the, uh, so, yeah, what's her status? Situation, you know, and uh, you know, I didn't know what I should say. I mean, I didn't know. Are we at the the point where I say, "I'm sorry, she has a doctor," <laughs> or I love no, no. I, re- I really, I want to be. I want to help you. <clears throat> this is uh, this guy. You know, I, but, but I, and I'm sorry if the doctor's listening right now. But do <laughs> but do I say no, uh, uh, what's the deal with her? Listen, Keon is a dear friend. She, yes, she has a great voice. She's great on the show. But I'm sorry, she has a doctor. <laughs> or do I say? <laughs> be, and by the way, by the way, what you say to a guy? This guy's. I mean, he's actually a very successful artist himself. Mm-hmm. But when you say she has, she's with a doctor. He, then he knows it's over. You know, like he how, he has no chance. I love so, how Gian doesn't bring this stuff up privately to me. He brings it up on air. I was like, I had no idea. This <laughs> no, I'm just wondering what. So what? What should I say to him? It, I, like, uh, should, should you I left say me speechless, Gian? Should I, are you at the point with the doctor where I should say to this guy, "I'm sorry, she ha- she's yes, she's occupied." Are, yeah, I am quite occupied. All right, all right. Well, that's all I want to know. That's uh, <laughs> you know, but people are asking about you and saying you have a great voice. By the way, people ask about you too, Gian. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't have yeah. a doctor. You, well, you have a great voice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so there's that going for you. <laughs> Hopefully, there's a fabulous artist guy who's asking about me. I uh yes yeah, so you didn't know I uh, hello that's the voices you're hearing that's a groovy Shia and Captain Reza hello guys hello sir by the way guys I I would Keon and I were just talking about this as we were coming into the studio mm-hmm. there is a thoughtful Nagin brought a giant like a bowl of uh chocolate you know yeah. of like uh, candies uh that she I, we always descend into talking about food I guess that's the <laughs> right. the Persian tradition but anyway it's in our foyer area there. And she she brought it on Monday. Mm-hmm. It was full. It's like <laughs> it half crazy. full. Like honestly, I'm not exaggerating. No. There's probably 500 candies in there, like <laughs> Kit Kat, chocolate bars, and things like that. And it's down to 250. Like it's literally half. I don't know. I don't know who's eating all these. And I'm staring down Shia. It was him, wasn't it's it? It's probably he Shia again. Everything. And, and, and there's, there's wrappers there's, in there. And that's the thing. Somebody has taken the chocolate. Like they open the chocolate. 
and they put the wrapper back inside the bowl. Animals. Oh. Well, that's grounds for dismissal. Who did this? Well, Reza's the only one who's quiet right now. Oh. So maybe. What? What? Oh. He, he looks like the type to do that, too. Story of my life. Story of my life. I Since I was six years old, I don't. I don't listen. Ever. I don't think. <laughs> I'm sure that Ponta, the artist, or producer Susan, mm-hmm. or Thoughtful Nagy haven't been putting the putting the you know wrappers the back wrappers inside the, back the, the in bowl. The thing, yeah. That leaves the four of us. Yeah. And Keon and I were astounded as we we, we noticed it well, together. It so that cover. leaves you two. No. <laughs> For me, that's you're I with the regime. <laughs> it must be the reason. You see how she, he did the math? Oh, although they didn't do it for sure. Well, let's not try to talk uh, about that. Or Savvy Roham, you know. Yeah, that's Sibyl's work. Actually, it could be that. Savvy Roham. Comes in a, on a Tuesday, yeah. throws mm. some wrappers in there. He has there, a yeah. suspicious mustache. He does. You, right. never, you never trust a man with a mustache. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's a joke. <laughs> okay. Uh, on Instagram this Saturday. Uh, if you don't follow us on Instagram, uh, we are at, at Rook Media. This Saturday, we are posting the full interview with Iranian-American hip-hop star and pioneer Erfan with Persian subtitles. So uh, it's the first time we're posting that on Insta. So if you go to Rook Media, if you're a fan of Erfan, uh, anytime after, I guess, around noon on Saturday, Eastern Time, we're going to post that. The full interview with uh, hip-hop star Erfan with Persian subtitles. Uh, you should be um, joining our Instagram page anyway. By the way, Keon, we're on Instagram. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh, my God. What's Instagram? <laughs> What's All the right. deal with that, Keon? Well... She uh, now. Um, I also want to give a shout out. I keep. I write this down every show, and I don't do it. I want to say hello to our growing audience in Australia. Wow. We have this audience that keeps growing in Australia because we see the analytics of our different platforms, and on a couple of our platforms, especially SoundCloud and I think Spotify, there's this, this uh, you know, there's a real audience. Uh, now we have Mona from Melbourne who helps teach us proverbs. Have you been using your proverb this week or your I saying? I did. I yelled at someone. Sheer to sheer angel. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yes, Mona from Melbourne. I don't think it's only her because she's only been on the show for a couple of weeks, but, uh, but. Uh, Hello to those of you listening in Australia. We're thrilled that you're you're part of this thing and um, and can't wait to visit. I don't know what do we say. They're One going day, into winter. Maybe. We don't want to go to Australia, but they have no COVID too. Nice. That's why they're listening to Rook. That's they got all the sad. time in the I was world. Say, they no were in, COVID free. You know, they just came out of lockdown, didn't they? A week ago, two weeks ago. I don't think That's they what were. That's Mona was down. saying. Mo- well, Mona was. She mm. was saying they just came out of lockdown. I or don't listen on that segment. I just <laughs> for someone for someone that watches the news so much, I'm shocked you don't know. No, that. Uh, what I know is that they have been meticulously dealing mm. with this, and uh, uh, I'm sorry, but unlike your guy in the states, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they they <laughs> you know who uh. apparently still thinks he won the election. They've been they've there's zero zero COVID or, or something like that in in Australia. Mm. Yes, uh, it's fantastic. I have they're a, so far away I have a twin sister who lives in Australia. And what? What? Did you guys know he's got a twin sister? No. You have a twin sister go. who there lives in Australia. Yeah. What's her name? Shai, you've never mentioned this. You've <laughs> never. I hope she's listening. You've never mentioned. <laughs> you've absolutely never mentioned That's that you have crazy. family in Australia. Yes. That's who's listening to the show. Yeah, my in the <laughs> thousands. How many? How many family members do you have? <laughs> yeah, my twin sister What's lives her name? in. Razia, my name is Reza. Her name is Razia. Oh, yeah. wow. Reza and Razia. What else yeah. are you hiding? Hmm. I had no idea. 
<laughs> Not the wrappers that he throws back in the bowl. <laughs> That's she, what she just gave a birth to her first child. Oh. Oh. Yeah. He became You're an uncle. Okay. What's the child's name? Rosa. Oh, Reza, yeah. Rosa, Rosier. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm a Rosier. <laughs> Yeah. So that's um uh well that's lovely. Where is she in Australia? Brisbane. Brisbane. Oh, nice. Um well anyway, hello to you all in in uh down under. I don't know if that's what they <laughs> say, but uh and I mentioned the the handsome guy that uh Keon has now rejected. Uh who was uh, listening to the Paravis Tanavoli episode, um, the feature interview with the iconic Iranian artist on Monday. You can hear that on YouTube and uh, all of our platforms. We've been getting some really lovely comments about yeah. uh, Paravis yeah. Tanavoli and how much that interview moved people. Um, and we're going to get to that in yeah, the letters. Definitely. And, you know, I should get a, give another shout out to Ajeng Zania. Ajeng Zania and his new venture, Nahid Corporation. You know, Ajeng not only supported the Paris Tanavoli episode, but has signed up as one of our patrons at the Rook website. This is where you can make a little contribution that renews monthly to help support our show and keep us alive and growing. And it's very kind of Ajeng, who's a big supporter of Iranian arts and culture in the diaspora and also an unquestionably handsome man. Uh, unquestionably meaning no one can question but he's <laughs> handsome uh, rookmedia.com is the website and um, thank you to Arjang and those of you who are signing up to be patrons that means a lot to us alright Groovy Shia Captain Reza the fabulous Keon we'll see you guys in a little bit let's get to our feature guest yes yes <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> she is a, rap, a rapper, an activist advocating for humanitarian issues, and in particular, awareness around child marriage. Sonita Alizadeh is a force to be reckoned with and a pioneer of women's rap coming out of Afghanistan and Iran. Take a listen to this. <laughs> Yes, yes, little taste of the song Bad Girls from her latest album. That is Sonita Alizadeh. And uh, she's got quite a story with, with a poet's soul and an activist's passion. She uses rap, conviction, and courage to stand up for girls' rights, particularly on a campaign to address and end the practice of child marriage. So Sunita was born in Harat, Afghanistan, in 1996. Her family fled to Iran to escape the Taliban regime, and Sunita grew up an undocumented refugee in Tehran. That means that without official papers, Sonita could not go to school. She learned to read and write at an NGO for Afghan refugees and took a special interest in poetry and music. She realized that rap was going to be her medium for speaking out. Sonita first gained public attention with the release of Brides for Sale. This is a, a video in which she raps about daughters being sold into marriage by their families. Brides for Sale premiered in 2014 on YouTube, kickstarting her career and now garnering millions of views. 
After releasing that video on YouTube, Sonita was contacted by the Strongheart Group, which offered her a student visa and financial help to study in the United States, where she then relocated and has resided ever since. Her story is told in the documentary Sonita, which won awards in all kinds of places, including the Sundance Film Festival. Sonita was also named one of Foreign Policy Magazine's Global Thinkers of 2015, one of BBC's 100 Women of 2015, and has been featured in over 150 publications in 20 countries. Sonita now attends Bard College in New York, where she represented her school performing at the Lincoln Center last year. She's got more new music to release and coming soon, but first, right now, Sonita Ali Zadeh joins me from New York City today. Hello. Hello. First of all, I have to say that Bad Girls is my favorite song. Thank you for playing it because it gave me so much energy and I wasn't actually expecting that. So thank you so much for this great introduction and for inviting me. I'm thrilled to hear that. Actually, that was the song that I chose, hoping that it, it would give you the energy instead of just playing some of the, the old tracks that people know. Thanks so much for doing this. Um, I, I guess first and foremost, how's it going there, being an American student and a, and a rap star and global ambassador on the side? <laughs> Um, it's, uh, I have to say it's very difficult for me. It was very difficult when I came to the U.S. in 2015, because honestly, I couldn't speak any English except saying, hi, bye, I'm a rapper. So that was all that I knew. It was very difficult for me to adjust and to do well at my classes. And then, but right now, it's everything is good. I'm in New York, as you mentioned, at Bard College. I'm taking several classes. They're really hard, but I'm doing my best uh, to pursue my dream of uh, having a diploma of graduating uh, college. And everything is very well. So I'm doing well. I'm making new friends. I'm still working on music and still doing my advocacy work besides school. Okay. Well, there's so much there I want to get into. And honestly, your story is remarkable. And it really is. I say this truly. It's an honor uh, that to, to, to be talking to you. I think what you've done is is incredible. First, let me start with the present. It, it was your it was your birthday, actually, a couple of weeks ago. Happy birthday. I think you're you're old now. You're really old. You're 23. So, uh, I'm 24. Oh, you're 24. Wow. Okay. So it was your birthday and you asked for a donation. I saw a video of you asking for a donation for your birthday, a donation, especially in the context of the pandemic. Tell us briefly, Sonita, about Parviz and Setayesh. So this was, I don't want to call it a project. This was a gift to two kids um, that my family, they kind of knew them. They live around my family in Afghanistan, in Herat. So obviously pandemic has affected everyone but mostly those kids that have to work that have to support their own uh, families they don't even they're not being given the chance to uh, play to have their childhood to go to school to do what kids do what children do so uh, those kids remind me of my childhood a lot because when i was young i really wanted to have a normal uh, childhood. Actually, I didn't know what a normal childhood was. All I wanted to have it was to have some fun, not to deal with families' problems, and to have a doll, to have toys. So, 
when I uh, saw those kids, when my sister was talking to me about them, so it actually uh, touched my heart and it, it took me back to uh, what my childhood was. And they actually represent my childhood. So I decided to uh, ask my friends not to have a party for me, but to give me like donation to give it to those kids to make their small wishes come true. So Parviz and Satoyish, they are bo both uh, children working very hard. And recently we received about 450. We asked people about 300, but they were so kind to give us 450. And we were able to provide Parviz and Satoyish with food, winter clothing, toys, and it was just so great to see them and uh, like uh, their small dreams come true so it was amazing that's amazing and they are these are little kids in afghanistan who are being put to work but you know you say that people at the same time as asking for donations and talking about stories like this you always say sonita in the announcements i've seen you make in the in the videos that you post in the interviews that you do that people should not make an assumption about the parents of these kids like like for example that they don't love their children you've also very publicly right. defended your own mother who tried to sell you a couple of times as a child bride tell me how you have managed to have compassion for the parents in in these situations so i grew up in a very conservative family and i know what my mother went through so she was married when she was very young so i understand i use my reasoning why my mother would do that to me because this was what she learned from her parents from her grandparents this was something that she had to do in order for her to appear as a good citizen as a good woman in Afghanistan. So I always defend my mother because I know that it was not her fault. She loves me. She loves me so much. She loved me and she still loves me a lot. But she wanted to force me to marriage because this is a practice that has been done over and over. And two of my sisters, they, they have been married at age very, very young, maybe 13 or 14. And she thought this was the best choice for me as well, because in Afghanistan, most girls, they, people don't see a future for them, unfortunately, because they think they're not capable of uh, taking control over their lives and they might be facing rape, they might be facing other social issues. So then they think marriage could be the best way to protect them. And so, and if somebody says, um, how can the parents of Parviz or Setayesh uh, stand by and let these little kids be put to work, you say what? They're not standing and watching them. They are working beside Parviz and Setayesh. First of all, Parviz and Setayesh, they don't have a father. So that, that's different. And their mother is working um, with them. Sometimes, like in my family, when I had to work with my mother, I was very young, I had to work with her. If I wouldn't work, that means we didn't have, we couldn't have enough food on the table for us to eat. Right. So my help, my work could help everyone else to have a little bit more to eat. So I couldn't just watch, I couldn't sit down and watch my family going through a lot to find something for me to eat. I had to help them. It's not that they are forcing me. I'm not talking 
for all the uh, kids that are working. Most of cases I've seen in Afghanistan, in Iran, children, they're really going through a lot, not only themselves, but mostly the parents. And they're working beside parents to help them and also themselves. Sunita, take me back to when you were a little kid in Afghanistan under the Taliban. When I say that, Sonita, you, little kid, Afghanistan, what first comes to mind? What do you remember most about that time? Um, what I mostly remember, maybe uh, war, poverty, and childhood. I had one best friend that I never saw her again when I left uh, Afghanistan. It's mostly about one friend that I had in my childhood, war, poverty, and uh, immigration. It, it's not, um, that doesn't sound like a very positive image of what you remember from your childhood in Afghanistan. That's true. I'm sure I had good times too. Like uh, my favorite uh, memories are from Eid, a holiday in Afghanistan. Mm. I remember good uh, memories from holidays Eid, uh, in Afghanistan, but it's mostly dominated by negative, by like war. Of course. All my memories. But also um, when I, I get to like think about my past, I just review what happened to me. Sometimes I'm kind of like happy because I feel like those hard moments, those hard situations, shaped me even better i'm not saying that everyone has to go through something to like feel stronger and find themselves yes i'm just saying that i didn't surround to all the issues all the problems that were surrounding me so i i actually uh, started to compete with them even though they were more and uh, very very stronger than me but i didn't want to lose myself to all the negativities around me the story goes that you're your family fled Afghanistan because your brother's life was in danger by the Taliban. I know you got stopped by Taliban authorities in the car with your family as you were trying to, to leave to get out of Afghanistan. You've described that as, as one of the worst moments of your life, and, and I'm sorry to make you talk about it, but, but what, what can you tell us about what happened in that moment? First of all, I should say that we left Afghanistan mainly because we were all in danger. So every day we felt like death was following us and we had no uh, other solution but to leave our home and go to Iran. On the way going to Iran, uh, our car was stopped by the Taliban. Um, I always like, I remember bad memories. I have bad images of the Taliban always with gone, always very, very mean, very aggressive. But when that happened to me, to my family, uh, honestly, I can't remember a lot, but I, I know I was like, my heart was beating so fast. Like at that time, like I always uh, shelter to my mom when something happens something bad but at that time i felt like no one was there to protect me it was that horrifying for for me and my when we were stopped by the taliban we all got off the car my mom she was trying to hide the money that we had to uh, survive to go to iran 
and she was hiding the money and the Taliban were asking my brothers to take their jackets off, the, their watches. They took whatever they could. And then at the end, um, they were like asking my mom if we have if we don't give them what they want, they're going to take me or my sister. So it was very horrifying for me, like to be separated from my family, to see my sister separated from us. So it was very, very shocking. And even when I talk about it, even now, I'm just like speechless. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, that's pretty nightmarish. Um, and and when you're 10, uh, your family first considers selling you into marriage. The wedding didn't end up going through. You you make it to Iran, but they try again when you're in your teens, again to sell you into marriage when you're in Iran, take you back to Afghanistan. Uh, Sonita, you spoke a few moments ago um, quite compassionately about how you see this or you're able to see this from your mother's point of view, even though she was at, at that point advocating to sell you. What about from your point of view as a child? Were you always aware that this may be your eventuality? And how do you even prepare for that as a as a little kid? So when I was uh, around 9, 10 or 11, I, I thought it was a game happening. And then uh, I wasn't actually aware of what was going on. I didn't know there was like a marriage for me, there were suitors for me, and all I was very, very happy and interested in, it was the fact that they were giving me too much attention, uh, and I had uh, new clothing, new shoes, uh, a lot of different food to eat, so it was very, very exciting for me, because I thought it was a game, and I had all the attention, but when I went to Iran, when I was around 15 or 16 years old, I was actually waiting for it because uh, at the NGO that I was learning how to read and write, all my classmates, most of them, they always appeared in the class with bruises on their faces because of standing against their parents, against this tradition, saying no to child marriage. So I thought, I, because we are all from the same culture, so uh, I was waiting for it to happen to me. Also, my family, marriage in my family, marrying at a young age, is such a it was such a big deal. And eventually, my mother came to me. I was in Iran living with my brother, and she told me that there's a uh, man waiting for me in Herat. I have to go with her and get married because they did they needed the money to pay for my brother's bride and at that time i mean i wasn't too shocked because obviously i was waiting for it i was waiting uh, for something to happen to me something that happened to my sisters to my mom to my friends so now it was my turn and the reason that I could not give up on it, the reason that I wanted to stand up against my mother, who I love the most, and I respect her the most, I had to stand up against her because I could see my dreams. That NGO helps me a lot to see who I was, to see what my dreams were, to see what, where I wanted to be in the future. So all those dreams uh, empowered me to stand up against my mother 
And I had so much fear, but all the dreams, they were so much uh, more stronger than uh, like uh, the society against me, the traditions. So that is why I um, told my mother, I said, you have to give me time. And at that time, there was a woman uh, named Rukhsara Maqami who helped me a lot, who supported me uh, with all my decision and who actually gave me more energy and more hope to continue rapping. She's the one who makes the documentary, right? That is true. So at that time, she was following me with her camera. Like she wanted to help me with making one or two music videos. And then after a while, she understood what was going on in my life. And she thought my story was more interesting than just like making music videos for me. Uh, Also, because in Iran, as you know, a rapping, singing solo for women not even so whatever yeah. it's illegal not so she was interested yeah, yeah. in like following my story how i got the courage to go against the laws and when it comes to your dreams um this is this is such an interesting twist in the story because your your outlet becomes rap music i love that and it, and it's interesting because at one point in that documentary that you just spoke of you tell a music producer that you had tried pop music but it just didn't speak to you it didn't work for you uh, you couldn't express your ideas and activism in the in the same way as as rap um which which reminded me of i mean that's where rap started on the streets of new york where you are now where with young guys going this this is how this is our outlet to talk about our lives tell me about what rap music does for you so as you said i first i tried uh, pop music and it was too slow for me that i had so much to say so then i heard eminem rapping uh, of course i've heard uh, rap songs before eminem but i never paid attention to uh, like rap as a tool when i heard him like rapping he was so angry i felt like so connected to him because i was so angry and with whatever was happening around me to my friends to all the kids uh, at the ngo so then i decided to rap and rap became my tool to share stories not only stories about myself but my friends what was happening to refugees to child laborers to women around me and yeah so this is how i started can i just say i mean this is the power of of if not pop culture of hip-hop that a teenage afghan refugee in iran uh, could identify with a white guy from Detroit <laughs> who's, who's, who's doing, uh, you know, who's rapping. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story. You, you've said as a rapper that stars like Stoop Dogg and Eminem, who, you know, are unquestionably the giants of the genre, benefited from where they were born and where they grew up, as opposed to someone like you. Tell me about that. So for me, it was actually... Somehow I was not uh, aware of all the laws that was uh, happening around me. Like I was not supposed to rap in Iran, but I knew that, but I couldn't stop it because I didn't want to live in fear. So the situation was completely different for me because first of all, I was not allowed to rap because of my family. They never wanted me me to to take any music classes because we are very conservative my family is very conservative was conservative so it was difficult for me because i only had 
five or or six uh, fans supporters and they were my classmates mm -hmm. that's all so for me i had to keep it a secret and also talk about big issues such as child marriage so this is why i decided to uh, do the rap song about daughters for sale which is about child marriage and then when i when rukhsar gaimagami put it on youtube I was so scared. I was very, very scared that I turned off my phone for a while <laughs> because of my family, because suddenly it went viral. So the situation was very scary for me because not even my family was supporting me. No one but just a few friends. And what really helped me to pull myself up, it was like a those people that believed in me and my dreams and because i saw my dreams because i could see them like becoming real uh achieving them in the future so they pushed me even farther to try even more for them i know the situation was hard even financially but when i showed that i could try for my dreams when i was like on the path to achieve them, other people realize it and they decided to help me as well. I know it's got millions of clicks on uh, on social media, but let me let me just uh, for those who don't know it, give people a taste of the song "Daughters for Sale" or "Brides for Sale" as it's also called. This is Sonita Alizadeh. <laughs> Little taste of brides for sale, Sonita Alizadeh. That's the song that I guess, to a certain extent, changed your life, and that video went viral. You know, it's such an interesting image for me that you have the courage, you summon up the courage in you, in your teenage self, to, to write that song, you summon up the courage to record that song, you summon up the courage to make the video, you summon up the courage to put it on YouTube. But then when it's out there, you turn off your cell phone because you're so worried about what what might what might come of it. And because it is scary, can you tell me about the feeling you had when you actually released that to the world, even before you knew it was going viral? So the feeling. Uh, obviously, I was uh, not sure what could happen to me. At that time, I was actually hiding in my... Uh, friend's house because of whatever was happening uh, in my personal life so I thought it was safer for me to stay with her so when we uh, released it uh, I wasn't actually hoping for it to go viral I thought this could get to my friends uh, parents and eventually to other families in Afghanistan. But I never imagined that the next day my parents, uh, my family would wake up and they see it playing uh, through Afghan TV. So it was uh, actually it was um, very, very 
shocking to me that it went viral even in Afghanistan because I thought it wouldn't touch other people's heart since they all practice it. But I got so many support messages from Afghan people and they were saying the same thing that I had in mind. So, um, and then after a while, my mom called me. Uh, Obviously I was uh, very scared to answer her, but when I talked to her, the first thing that she said she mentioned that i saw your music video i saw your song um it was good so i always <laughs> tell people that even though she didn't sound very excited very proud but but that sentence which is very simple that changed my entire life because i never imagined my mother to agree yeah to like agreeing me rapping, going against their uh, like wishes and against our costume, you know? So it was very, very life-changing for me. By the way, it's not just a, a video you made. It's a very provocative video, we have to say. I mean, you're, you've are you you've right. got a bloodied face. You've got the veil well, on. I have you're... to say that. Go ahead. All the idea for the music video, I got it from my classmates. So one day we, like always, we always had problems, issues with our families because of standing against child marriage. So one day, one of my closest friends, she appeared in classroom with bruises and blood, kind of blood on her face, but she was mainly bruised by the fight that she had with her parents. So then I realized that this is a the real image of child marriage and fighting against it. So I should like make this happen, make this uh, the real image of child marriage. And this is how I came up with this idea of wearing uh, wedding dress uh, with bruises, blood. And when I described it to Roxara, she made it happen. She helped me to record the music video. So much. I mean, it's only... It's only six years ago that this happened, but uh, this video. But so much has gone on in your life since then, including um, uprooting yourself and coming to to America. W- what is your relationship to that song now? Do you do you still appreciate it? Does it feel like an old you, or does it feel like it's still you? How do you feel about that? Uh, it's never old to me because wherever I go, they play rights for sale. Sometimes I want to tell them, I have other songs too. It's not the only one that you keep playing. So it's one song that I, I'm always asked to perform because this is what happened to me. This is my story and the story of millions of girls around the world. And uh, to me, it's a little bit sad whenever I perform this song, no matter how I feel, like if I, I came from a party before that, when I get to wrap that uh, song, it, it just breaks my, my heart. I, I feel like I'm about to cry. So it brings everything back to me, like what happened to me, what happened to my friends. And I still want to perform this song because I feel like uh, although the lyrics it's hard for other people to understand it, but they can understand the music video. They can see what's happening. They can see the real image of child marriage and understand that what other girls go through until they, if they achieve their freedom. Sonita, around the time when Brides for Sale is becoming a hit, 
you also enter a U.S. competition to write a song to get Afghan people to vote in their elections, and and yeah. you win. You win the competition, and you win a $1,000 prize. Now, let me just set this up for people. You're still in Iran. You're, st- you're still risking being sold as a bride by your family. You're still not ensured that you're coming to America or anywhere else. And yet you send, as I understand it, you send all of that prize money back to your mother who was in Afghanistan. Um, it's quite a special decision you made there. Tell me about that decision. Um, I feel like in so many countries, it's not like it's not easy for us, for kids to just like enjoy all the opportunities that they have or the, all the privileges. Because I knew my family wasn't and doing well and they were not in a good situation in terms of uh, money so when i received that first of all the image that i had in my mind it was that i should send that uh, money to my family to my mom especially so she can see that as a girl i can make money and i can support them and i wanted to do that because um I was doing fine in Iran. I could work. I had something to eat and a place to live. But my family, I wasn't sure if they were uh, having food or a place to eat, you know? So I wanted to support them financially. And it was mainly for them to prove that I can, like my brothers, I can make money too. I think you're, I, I, I appreciate what you've just said, but I think you're being incredibly modest. You, uh, it, I, I, th- I think it's a very special decision. No one would have blamed you if you said, well, I'm going to send half of it to my mom and keep the rest and buy myself some uh, musical instruments and hoodies you know, or whatever. Uh, it, it's, uh, it speaks a lot about who you are. Thank you. Yeah, so for me, it was like I had, at that time I was taking guitar classes, guitar lessons. So I had what I wanted, and when I sent that money to them, it actually made me feel really, really happy and proud of myself. So it was important for me to make this decision. You end up getting this scholarship to come to the United States to study. Now, you had always dreamed of America. Actually, I never dreamed of coming here. Like, I knew, like, I, I liked the place by watching the movies. Like whenever I watch movies happening in New York, I was like, what a beautiful place. And people are so kind. And so I never imagined actually I could come here, but I wanted to go to other places, you know? But the funnier part to me is that you had these like, you know, aspirations, like you knew you saw Rihanna videos and, and you saw a place like New York, but you end up first having to move to Utah, uh, which, <laughs> which is a beautiful place. But uh, <laughs> that, was, that was so interesting because uh, I was sleeping and then when they said we're uh, about to land, so I woke up and I'm like, I'm about to, I, I feel like I'm about to see something like New York, all the big buildings, tall buildings. And then I opened my eyes, it's like all mountains. And I'm like, where are we? And uh, I was in Utah, but at, at the beginning, I was very, very sad that ending up in somewhere like in Utah. But eventually I got used to the place and actually Utah, Mount Pleasant, it reminded me of my hometown. Herod with all the mountains. Uh, it, it's just beautiful. So I'm happy that this 
happened to me. I mean, you were obviously in Utah, you were safe from any imminent threat of enforced marriage, and you were able to go to school for the first time. But you didn't know English very well, as you said. You you were alone. You were away from your family and, and away from Iran and, and away from Afghanistan. Was it difficult to adjust to being in, in the West? Uh, it was super difficult for me the first few months because I always were, had big groups of friends. But when I came to the U.S., the first thing that I needed was like a few good friends, you know. But I isolated myself. This is a mistake that I did because I was shy because I couldn't speak English. But I had a nice roommate. I had another friend from Afghanistan that they helped me. So it was difficult for me in terms of like socializing. But and also my classes, I couldn't understand it. And I took a TOEFL exam. You might know TOEFL. And I couldn't pass it because English was so hard for me. And that's uh, that's the biggest, like hardest part for me. Uh, when I came to Wasat. Also, another thing that was uh, shocking to me, the fact that so many people, when they saw my movie, the movie by Rukhsara Ghaim Mahami, they were always asking me, uh, do you still like your mother? Uh, is, is your story true? Like, it, it could, they couldn't even imagine child marriage as something happening in real life to real people. So it, that's why I decided to use my story as a, like a as a tool to advocate to raise awareness about child marriage because uh, even child marriage happens in Utah and but people didn't know so, and then this is how I started my advocacy work. I mean, what about uh, with the? I was wondering about that with the students in general, the other your your peers, the other students, or even at Bard College. Do, I mean, are you a celebrity? Do people realize that you're, you know, your classmates under, know that you have millions of clicks on YouTube for your videos? Uh, celebrity, not really, but um, I feel like when I when I meet new people. I don't want to really tell them anything about my past. And I just let them get to know me. So whenever they realize that there's a movie about me and then I escape child marriage and this and that, and they, they don't really uh, say I'm a celebrity, but they, they're just uh, proud of what I've done. I have to ask you, uh, Sunita, as, as I don't even know if you have an answer to this question, but let me try it on you. As someone who's now been in the States for a few years, as someone who's sitting in New York City right now, your dream partly was always to be in America. There's a moment in that documentary where uh, the, the teacher says, hey, you know, you're, you're, I guess you're young at that point. You're 14, 15 years old. And they say, you know, what's your dream passport? And, and you fill in the passport saying that you were born in the States and that your parents were Michael Jackson and, and Rihanna. <laughs> and, uh, you know, America represented some kind of escape and answer for you. But obviously the role of the U.S. in Afghanistan or in the Middle East is is more complicated than simply being the heaven-like answer. What does the little girl who dreamed of being American feel now that she's a woman living in America? Um, honestly, with the situation that was created for Muslim, the Muslim men, 
it was very difficult for me to like travel and it has been a very long time that I haven't seen my family in Afghanistan. So I feel like I'm in a place with so many opportunities, but when I don't get to travel to other places that I should, it just makes me feel um, really sad. And also I'm scared. I'm like, if I leave United States, I might not be able to come back. So it's not uh, guaranteed, you know? Like I'm happy that I'm here. I'm really happy that uh, I'll be, finishing college here but at the same time it has taken other things from me like seeing my family like making more music because when i was in iran it's like it's easy to kind of make song but here you have to be kind of wealthy to uh, do your career you know oh that's interesting you you feel like you it, being in iran would be it, it would be easier for you to actually make the music in iran than in the states I, I think it's easier because of the prices. Hmm. Like, but I have to mention that I'm really lucky to have friends who are willing to help me. But in terms of like making music video or something like that, it's very difficult. Also, if you are an international student uh, living in the US, it's difficult because you cannot uh, make money if you're going to perform it. You cannot. Uh, do anything but uh, school. You mentioned the travel ban or the Muslim ban a few moments ago, and and um, tell tell me about what your what what is your relationship with religion these days? Are you a practicing Muslim? Um, I would like to pass on that question. Okay. Well, you start a video you made earlier this year about a mullah who's trying to punish women for not wearing the hijab by saying, I've I've tried really hard to stay out of religious discussions. It's the first thing you say in this video. Um, tell me about how difficult it is to avoid talking about religion. How about that? I mean, um, I didn't want to talk about it because I do believe in some part of Islam and I don't believe in some practices that they do. And I'm still learning, I'm still figuring it out, like what is actually my religion? What do I believe in and what I don't believe in? Because people have made a, have created a bad image of God, of religion for me. And that's why I don't want to talk about it because I want to I want the time uh, to help me to understand what actually religion is, what I need to believe in, what I need to follow. So and I made that video because um, that mola that you saw, um, it was very hard for me to listen to his speeches against women and say that women are worth nothing and they should be they should stay at home cook clean uh, everything against women and i had to make that video because i couldn't handle his speech against women and i took my scarf off uh, just to show him that i have the decision to wear a scarf or not it's my own life you cannot uh, pose your like uh, pose your beliefs on me. You know what I'm saying. I do. 
Is it hard for you as you become like you've become a symbol? You know, you're you you are like a global symbol now. Like Malala, you're somebody that people are looking at. And is it hard? Is there a pressure associated with that where everything about you gets scrutinized? You do an interview with a with a hijab, and some people say, "Why is she wearing the hijab?" And others say, "Why didn't she take it off?" And uh, tell me about dealing with all of that. So it is complicated because sometimes I wear my scarf, sometimes I decide to put it away. And this is uh, hard for other people to follow it. And they're not sure if I'm Muslim or if I'm not. But I'm saying this is me. You don't have to deal with my religion. And I decide if I want to wear my scarf or not. Sometimes I wear it, people are confused. They're asking why you don't wear your scarf because I wanted to tell them this is my life. This is my show. I make my decision if I want to wear it or not. So uh, this act, me wearing or wearing my scarf or not, it's actually creating a platform for others, hopefully, to also uh, decide if they want to wear that, if they want to do that, whatever they want to do. It's their own life. So, yeah. You know, it occurs to me that this this journey that you're on, this you speaking out has given you the life that you have now and has done so much to bring awareness already around issues that are, are important to you. And you can come from a place of... of uh, I mean, this, these are things, the things that you're speaking about are things that you've experienced yourself. You're not just an activist projecting this onto somebody. You're, this is something that you've been through when it comes to, say, the specter of child marriage. On the other hand, the fact that you're speaking about these things and the fact that it's so tied up to the art that you create and who you are means that you have to keep returning to your own difficult past. In other words, if you were rapping about bling or partying, you wouldn't have to keep reliving harsh memories, you know, and no one would blame you for avoiding that. Tell me why it's worth it for you to keep speaking out about these issues. So... Uh, as you mentioned, child marriage is uh, a part of my life, my story that happened to me. And still some of my friends, they are going through this cycle. And I will always talk about it because it's happening every day, every second in, um, in the life of millions of girls. This is something that I am very passionate about and I'm trying to raise awareness about this issue through music. But also I talk about uh, other issues like um, religion, like politics, the situation that is in Afghanistan right now, because I feel like I feel like I'm responsible for whatever like is happening. I have to say something to that. And uh, sometimes it might not be right. Sometimes I might not be correct, but the thing that I really care about is that I'm advocating for my people to stand up for their rights, to not give up, to see the possibility of having a better future, uh, gaining future, uh, freedom uh, in the future. So I'm just trying to empower them, uh, whatever I can to do, like whatever I, uh, it causes, like it takes, I wanna do that. And because I'm, that, I'm at that situation, I feel like 
I could encourage so many girls, so many Afghan people to stand up for themselves. And I don't want to miss this chance to help them, to speak for them, you know? So just to, to honor the platform that you've created, um, if there are people listening right now, as there are in Los Angeles or in Melbourne, Australia, or in Germany, um, what would you most want them to know about the current practice of child marriage and what we may be able to do about it? So um, I always tell everyone that please don't think that it is family's fault, like the parents, because they are still learning. They are they love boys and girls. They love their children, but they're not uh sure what other possibilities are there for their girls so i don't want them to misjudge the parents ever and try to learn more about child marriage by joining ngos like girls not brides and they always have small events for people that they can be active that they can raise awareness about child marriage uh, through their own authentic way and we the people we can make the changes once we join together so it is very important for all of us to uh, join together and speak about one problem so the world leaders can hear us and make a good decision beautifully said before i let you go you know your your dream was to be a rap star like eminem and play a big concert hall. You're not quite Eminem yet, but you've kind of accomplished what you had hoped to do already. Where do your dreams take you these days for the future of Sonita? So right now, my biggest dream may be not in terms of rapping, my rap career. My dream is to have a concert actually in Afghanistan and having my mom, my family, my brothers there. It would be fantastic seeing them supporting me in my concert. So that's a big dream for me. Also, uh, I'm hoping that with the help of other NGOs, uh, we join together and uh, help girls to achieve their dreams. When I came to the US in 2015, the number of girls that were forced into marriage was uh 15 million girls every year and today it's 12. it's not a huge difference maybe for other people but i think we made a big difference in the numbering and as long as we keep working together we invest time and energy in supporting also others we could make a difference in the world and eventually uh, eliminate child marriage Sonita, a final question. And again, I thank you so much for doing this today. I, I know you said you can't travel back and forth to Afghanistan right now and that it's very difficult for you, obviously. And you can't do that for a number of reasons, not the least of which is the travel ban in America and, of course, a global pandemic at this point. But I would guess that you've been in touch with your family and I have to believe that your mom is now really proud of all your success and your whole family is. Have, have you been in touch with them and what did they express to you these days? So the good news that I have now is that I have a new music video, new song called Run Boy. And my mom is acting in that music video. Wow. Which, 
<laughs> which is a big difference i'm super excited about this music video just because she's in the music video my brother my sister is in this music video so wait so they've uh, got they've gone from not supporting your music and and your videos to now being in them which is uh, amazing the time but helped you know they just needed more time to understand like me being in the u.s that doesn't mean like if i'm alone here that doesn't mean i'm not going to be my best you know so i helped them to understand the situation better and now they're aware of like what a girl can do not only for herself but to help other girls as well and obviously i called her <laughs> and i said i have a new song because sometimes she gives me ideas what to rap about and this time i asked her i i requested i said could you please appear in this music video and it, it took a while but eventually i convinced her i can't wait to see that video listen thank you so much for the time you've taken thank you for what you do and it's been a pleasure getting to talk to you thank you so much Khudafis. okay take care that's sonita alizadeh the Afghan rapper and activist advocating for humanitarian issues and in particular awareness around the practice of child marriage. Sonita joined us from New York City today. song Afghan Women by Sonita actually Shia let it play out bring it back up Sonita Alizadeh and the song Afghan Women. She actually wrote that a few years ago, but it's weird. On Spotify, I can't figure this quite out. It shows that song uh, as coming out in 2020, but I think that's an older song of hers. I think so, yeah. Maybe it's a collection she's just done on Spotify or something. Anyway, Sonita... uh, Wow, I'm I'm so impressed with her. Captain Reza, Groovy Shia, the fabulous Keon are back here... uh, 
with their mics on. Um, I found her grounded, nuanced, you know, intelligent beyond her years, an amazing spokesperson. Yeah, she's an incredibly impressive woman. I mean, she's only twenty-four years old, mm-hmm. talented. The part that it, I found really interesting is that despite everything that her, you know, I, I, did I mishear her mother tried to put her into a child marriage situation? Is that what happened? No, and that you didn't mishear that. That that's the, that's her story. Yeah, into twice, once when she was ten, and once when she's in yeah. her teens. Despite yeah. that, she still, you know, she learned to forgive her mother, her family. That's profound i don't know if i i would be capable of that so she's really trying to show or teach people the context of how this happens i suppose mm-hmm. in the afghan tradition uh mm. I, I i love that she is inspired by eminem <laughs> you know i just love <laughs> I, I love that that was what like the juxtaposition culturally geographically age gender ethnicity all the things that you you'd say would make that some kind of con- connection between eminem and sunita absurd mm-hmm. and yet the raw emotion and art that he puts out there means that she feels him and found inspiration in him. Uh, I just think that's 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 the story of why pop culture is important. Yes. That's why I that's why I always defend you know uh, hip hop music or whatever to to people who prefer the so called high arts. You know this is this is the ground it can the headway it can make around the world. Yes, I hundred percent agree with you. Captain Reza, you want to say anything? Uh, I was just, I was so delighted to hear uh, her surprise ending at the end of the interview that her mom and her family is going to be uh, uh, in her new music video. Quite a twist. Right? That ending, yeah. That was beautiful. She's, she, I think she's too mature for her age. That's what it is. She's You think she's a, a fake? She's actually no. 40 years old. <laughs> yeah, she probably is, yeah. yeah, in a body of a 24 <laughs> years old. No, she's very, like, what she, the way she was, the way she's analyzing her situation is is what a seven-year-old man would do after going through years of therapy. Even her eloquence in English. Yep. I mean, she yep. just came to mm-hmm. the, the West at like four years ago and, and didn't speak English at all. Amazing. I mean, and her English is at least twice as good as yours, Reza. <laughs> so, <laughs> which isn't more. saying a lot, frankly, but... <laughs> Yeah, just shows like, how smart she is. She just like uh, yeah, or it just shows that Reza is uh, <laughs> a long way to go. Dumb. <laughs> it's Thursday. The kids are all here. Let's get to the letters of the week. Huh? Wow. Huh? How about that, Kian? <laughs> it's about damn time. <laughs> a new letters theme. Shia has been working slaving at this day and night. Of course, it sounded a lot more like a confusing alternative jazz piece before I start screaming at him. And just make it simpler. Make it simpler, Shia. Yeah. This Listen, is great. It's, it's, uh, it's a step up from that mellow, dramatic theme that we had before this. Shia, you can turn it down a little bit. Yeah, I can barely hear Keon. I, I, yeah. I can't hear my own thoughts. I'm all thoughts. excited with this new theme. <laughs> Okay. okay, so last week on episode 61, we had a feature interview with Iranian-Canadian business and marketing guru Ramin Misgarlu, the founder and CEO of Forensic Network and Opulence Global, Canada's largest private designer fashion house. So a few people wrote into that interview. On YouTube, we have Heidi Sao wrote, Ramin Misgarlu is truly a leader and champion for the world. His mission to give people the best of the best opportunities while having products to help the world. Thank you, Ramin. 
Thank you, Heidi. And then we have Mavis, last name T, wrote, Very inspiring story. Thank you, Sir Ramin, for sharing. Sir Ramin? Yeah, mm. Sir Ramin. Has he, has he been designated be- by the Queen as Sir? I don't believe so, okay. no. <laughs> well, I call you, you Sir Jean. I mean, well, well I am anything. officially. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, Mavis, for that. And then moving on to Facebook, we have Kamal, last name listed MSV, wrote, It seems that this guru just talks nice and smoothly. (laughs) I find it kind of difficult to associate him with any real action, especially since COVID hit the globe. Please invite more of the action folks, quote unquote. The action folks? Yes, the action folks. What is that? I guess like Nassim Varastir, the karate. Or like Sonita, she's all about the action, Mm -hmm. changing the world. That's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... uh, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I'm just... Yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah. That's an opinion. It sure, sure is. Kamal. I just like that he goes. This guru <laughs> talks smoothly and nicely. Actually, Ramin Mescali doesn't even talk that smoothly. He's kind of uh, he's sort of rough around the edges. Talks fast. Yeah, I mean that's part of why he's believable to me. But uh, thank you, Kamal. And then moving on to Instagram, we have username only Yapkanand wrote wonderfully stamped in classic style by Jean Romeshi. Indeed, the very best show host to date. Oh. Wow, did you write that? I did. <laughs> uh, I'm now calling myself only... Ap-can-end. What is it? Uh, only Apkenend. Ap- <laughs> but why did you refer to yourself as Komeishi? <laughs> That's, That's right. the question. That's right. Some <laughs> That's people still think that uh, my name is... My last name in English is spelt the way... Mm-hmm. Iranians think this. The way my dad's cousin, Siavashi Komeishi, mm-hmm. writes it Komeishi. But it's actually Komeishi. Mm-hmm. Not oh. that it really is that big a deal. It used to bug my dad, but I, I don't care. It's okay. I got it. All right, moving on. We have. But th- thanks for that <laughs> nice note, whoever wrote that. Hope. And then we have Atifa Tabish wrote, What a beautiful and inspiring interview. I think I heard in the interview that Ramin is an author of a book. I can't find any information on it. Can you please confirm with Mr. Ramin and give us more info on the book? Yeah, he's, he's, he's got a book that is part of his uh, program, the, far, the, the Forensic Network. Yeah, we can. We'll, I guess, put a link to that on the on the interview somewhere. We'll figure that out, and we'll send uh, we'll respond to you, Atafa. Thanks. Okay, and then we have Iman Taradosi. Uh, this general, I bet Iman is a female or male name in Persian. Ma- male. Male name. Okay. It's male, but I've I've seen female. Right. With well, uh, excuse me, Bowie's wife. <laughs> oh, right. There we go. Oh, right. yeah. there we go. Well, he or she, this specific Iman, wrote in the Persian language. And again, I had to slave away and translate oh, it into English letters. Yes, so bear Please. with me. This Keon. again right. took me, you know, probably let's say five minutes. It yeah. took me of translating. All right, five minutes. That's not Less very much. Less than five minutes. Well, it's, I, I'm getting better at it. I thought this was like all weekend. You were trying to <laughs> Listen, slaving away. I don't some just word. know how to read Baba Abdad. <laughs> I know how to read a little more than that. All right. Hope. This uh, Iman says, Durud, a kosh mishot tarjome shode, yoro zirnevis karar dodish. Hold on, let me start again. Uh-huh. <laughs> Great job, Kian. Translation is perfect. God, I can never, I have no encouragement from this team. Durud, a kosh mishot tarjome shode, yoro zirnevis karar dodevoshe. Aksar dustan betunan istifade konan. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, tra- you want to translate that? Well, uh, durud, 
first of all. Hello. <laughs> instead of setup. Um, I wish that uh, the, the, we had uh, Farsi translate subtitles on these so that most people who um, could use those the, who speak Farsi. I think person's writing in Persian, so I guess they would prefer that we have Persian yeah. subtitles. Very well done, Keon. Thank Keon you, June. and good job translating. Oh, you thank see you. that? Yeah. Reza and Shia, were, yeah. we're not so bad in Persian. <laughs> Between the two of you, there is a half a, <laughs> <laughs> half a right. Should I punch him or should you? No. All right. No, no. Moving on. Uh, this week on episode 62, we had a feature interview with iconic Iranian sculptor, painter, scholar, and art collector, Parviz Tanavoli, one of the greatest modern and contemporary artists of Iran. Yes. So we had a lot of excitement on that episode, um, as as we expected. On YouTube, we have username Parpar, no, wait, username Papar Adab wrote, thank you, Gian. Adab, probably. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, Adab, but Adab, we don't have Adab. Papar Adab? Yes. Papar Adab wrote. Like Adabi? Yes. Got it. All right. So he or she wrote, Thank you, Jian. I love his heech or nothingness sculpture displayed in front of the Aga Khan Museum in Toronto. Mm. So do I. That's a beautiful sculpture. Um, and then we have Neda Johnson. You know, there's lots of heeches, right? Well, that's the one that I that that's is closest one, to us, I'd say. Right. Geographically. The, the one that I knew mm-hmm. of. You can get a, a heech ring. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Maybe the doctor wants to get you one. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know what? One day I'm going to expose your private life and see how you feel. There's nothing to say. <laughs> You're Go right. ahead. Yeah. Who am I dating? Oh. But the doctor, <laughs> oh my I'm just God. saying. Nah, it's, I'm uh, going yeah. to kill you. <laughs> oh, and then... <laughs> Oh, and then we have Neda John Sipar wrote, Dear Rook uh, Team. Uh, uh, sorry. Oh my God. No, no. What? Uh, J- John Sipar. John Sipar. John's Pad. John's Pad? Uh, I don't know. Maybe John Sipar. John Sipar. That makes more sense. Okay. Neda John Sipar wrote, Dear Rook Team, that was one of your best interviews so far. Here's a big thank you to you all. Thank you, Neda. And then we have Davoud Monter wrote, Thank you, Rook Team. I probably missed less than five episodes from the whole program so far, but I'll listen to them soon. I just wanted to say that all of the episodes have something new for me to learn each time. As an immigrant visual artist, this episode specifically was the best for me in terms of observing a big star's life and his perspective on life in general. Thank you. Wait a minute. That was... Thank you, Davoud. Davud. Davud Amantev. Davud Amantev. That that was. Why isn't that the letter of the week? Well, you must have a doozy. Coming I do up, have a good one a, coming up. That's a lovely letter. It was deserving. He listens to the show. He's an immigrant visual artist. He loved hearing uh, how a, an I- iconic artist sees the world with uh, that. It's beautiful. It has yeah, everything. Beautifully written. It has everything. It has a beginning, ending. It. it has drama. That's the letter of the week. I have Keon. a good one coming up. Right. To <laughs> get it, Kion ended. Why, what a what a day Kion is having. But by the way, uh, I think the other one was John Separ. John Separ, so. pardon me, Mr. Yeah. John Separ, Mr. Mrs. Miss. I think that you're trying to be Adabi. <laughs> adab, trying to be Ba Adab. Yes. All right, and then on Instagram we have Mojde Mori wrote, I enjoyed the interview with Parviz Tanavoli, the legendary icon. I saw one of his artworks in my friend's house back in Iran and always heard wonderful stories about him. Very nice. Thank you. 
And then we have Ajang Zanya wrote, Thoroughly enjoyed this fantastic interview. Great insight into the mind and thoughts of a living legend. For a master sculptor like him to declare his own masterpieces, which is admired so much by art lovers, critics, and other artists alike, as imperfect is a lesson in humbleness and a great testimony to his immense greatness. That's the same. That's Handsome Ajang. I was going to say. The, yeah. uh, a Rook patron and the person who helped uh, support that show. Yeah. Thank you for that, Ajang. Very well written note. And it's time for the letter of the week. Oh! Right. On YouTube, we have a Shahla Tahir from Sweden. Oh, did you know we have listeners in Sweden? Yes, I do. Isn't that yes, cool? Yes, I do. But that's uh, I see where you're going with this. Right? You wanted to give the letter of the week to the person writing from Sweden. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. So she says, "Hello to you. Just wanted to tell you how happy I am. You are a part of my days." As a retired teacher living in Sweden, this specific interview was one of the most exciting happenings for me, and I wish to thank you with all my heart. I hope that you'll continue to take us along this journey to learn more about profound Iranians outside of Iran. We will. Thank Shahla. Shahla Tahir. Shahla in Sweden. Thank you so much. What a what a. That's great that you're listening there, and that um, yeah, we'll continue this journey. Thank you, Keon. That was a good. You were right. That's right? the letter of the week you for see? sure. All right. Thank you, Shahla, with the letter of the week. Uh, listen, before we um, we go today, we uh, we wanted to take a moment on this show to to pay tribute to someone uh, we lost in the last week. You know we. We have a lot of heartache in our global Iranian community, and we can't uh, possibly acknowledge every loss or a moment of sadness that members of our community experience. But in this case, we lost someone who many of us have known uh, and was a vibrant part of our local Persian community in Toronto, in the greater Toronto area. He was beloved. I knew Danny and, and had recently exchanged some messages with him, but Keon, I know you knew him much better and, and have been really uh, understandably rattled by this news. So why don't you take it away here? Yeah, so just I, uh, so this week the Iranian community here in Toronto received, as you know, extremely sad news. Um, Danny Homayuni was a beloved member of this community. Um, he was shot at his home on Friday, November 13th, just days before his 35th birthday, which was incredibly heartbreaking for all that knew him. He was loved by anyone that knew him, including myself. Um, he was my incredibly talented hairdresser for many years and not just that just he was a very dear friend to me for several years now and um, he was outrageously funny full of life and had such positive energy that transferred to everyone around him um, beyond being a very talented hairdresser he was also a uh, extremely talented break dancer and um, more recently he started a rap career on the side like you know Gian. Um yeah he said he sent yeah, me a song yeah. a couple of months ago and and you know was kind of uh, asking me what I thought and I, th- I was this is great man thanks and and uh, I didn't even know he was getting into do, doing the music thing I knew yeah. that of course he um, you know, I, I'd see him around. I knew if he was a stylist and all that. But yeah, uh, yeah. So g- generally, just a loved man that for anybody that knew him, he'll always be remembered as a wonderful human being that spread joy wherever he went. And uh, it's a huge loss to our community here in Toronto, and uh, we'll miss him a great deal. Uh, Danny, rest in peace. We love you. We miss you. Um, and happy belated birthday, young guy, Danny Homayuni. Um, Rest in peace. This one's for you. Bedoda, <laughs> 
منو دریق یک خوب بیرونی کشونده عزیزم تو بختی نفس تو سینه مونده تو این تنهای تخ منو یک عالم یاد نشسته کسی که عاشقانه به عشقش پشت پا زد برای بودن من به خود رنگ فنا زد The singular Gugush Music by Farid Zolan This is full time for Rook for today Remember, the hub of all things Rook is our website, rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Producer Susan, Ponce of the Artist, Thoughtful Nagin, the fabulous Keon, Savvy Roham, Alhaya Mehrdad, English Mohammed, Captain Reza, and Groovy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us, sharing our content. Please subscribe if you've not done so already. Find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. Mizunbashin. Kasi. که وقت رفتم دوباره عاشقم کرد منو آباد کرد و خودش بیرون شده از درد به دادم برسه عشق دلم خیلی گرفته نگو از از چی
چی گرفت 